The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Sports Roundtable. I am Bob Branco. Let me wish everybody a very happy, safe, and blessed Thanksgiving. This is episode 315 dated Monday, November 20, 2023. Before we continue with our festivities, let me introduce the panelists that we have at the moment. We start out with Reverend Michael Garrett. Welcome back from your sabbatical last week. I hope everything's okay. Everything's great. Oh, boy. All right. Peter Alchil. I'm sorry, Mike. You were trying to say something. Go right ahead. There was some static there. But, yeah, everything's great, and it's good to be back. It's good to be here. Um, uh, I I hope to to welcome you guys from Fort Worth, Texas, last week. But back in Missouri City, Texas, where it's about 70 degrees, uh, cloudy. You can send it it our way. We're in the 40s today. Oh, okay. (laughs) Peter Alchil. Yeah, it's about 60 degrees here and sunny. Uh, it's supposed to be a relatively uh, rain-free weekend during the rainy season. So we're uh, thankful for that, as well as the major civil war here between Oregon and Oregon State on Friday. That's a big deal here in Oregon. Okay. We're yet to hear from Don Wardlow or Luther uh, King, unless I'm they've here. arrived. I'm oh. here, Bob. All right, Don, welcome. Yeah. Hi there from... Jersey, where, like you said, Bob, it's in the 40s. It feels like Thanksgiving weather. Has Luther King arrived? All right, not as yet. Before we continue, let me thank people who make it possible for Sports Roundtable to be aired. We start out with the media outlets. Thank you very much for airing us when you do. We appreciate that very much. Also, Raymond Gay, our executive editor and producer, thank you for helping us out, along with... Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place chat line. They post our shows on Greeting Door 14. Thank you for doing that as well. Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions. Thank you for archiving Sports Roundtable. You do that on our website, which is www.brancoevents.com. If you want to listen to an archived back issue, just go to that site, click on Sports Roundtable Podcasts, and you will hear all of our archives, or most of them anyway from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie. And Greg, I want to thank you also for being our host for today's program. Thank you for taking the time. We are ske- Oh, that's fine, Greg. Anytime. We appreciate you. We are supposed to have a guest. I'm not sure if he's arrived yet. His name is David Shoemate. He's the voice of the Duke Blue Devils. When he arrives, I'm sure that we will be notified of that. So hey, in the meantime, David is here. I'm oh, here. hi, David. There you are. Welcome to Sports Roundtable, and thank you for taking the time to be with us today. No, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I, I feel like I need to do a weather update. It's um, it's going to rain tomorrow <laughs> here in Durham, uh, but it's it's nice and comfortable now, kind of hanging out in the 60s, a, a beautiful week for Thanksgiving. All right. So tell us a little bit about Duke. How are they doing, in your opinion? Well, uh, I'll start on the football side of things. Uh, it's It's been really an incredible couple of years with Mike Elko obviously taking over after um, David Cutcliffe left a couple of years ago. 
uh, to, to win nine games a year ago. And then this year with everything that's gone on, there's been some injuries throughout the season. Uh, but to be at six and five back in the postseason for a second consecutive year and, and having senior day uh, coming up on Saturday against Pittsburgh, where they're going to honor 37 different guys down on the field. It's a little bit different these days, as you guys know, in, in college sports, where some guys are going to be honored that still have some eligibility because of uh, the COVID season where no one really lost a year of eligibility. So not quite sure what that means in terms of who might be back next year, but it, it's really been special with college game day coming to campus for the first time uh, in the program's history back in September when Notre Dame came to town, being nationally ranked for most of the year. It's really been uh, an incredible year, and it's served as a springboard into – uh, what John Shire is doing in his second season uh, with the men's basketball program already with the big win last week in Chicago in the Champions Classic over Michigan State. Got some big ones coming up next week. Uh, they head over to Arkansas uh, and then later on in December, a neutral site game with Baylor up in Madison Square Garden. The team likes to get up there um, once a year. So it's it's been going incredibly well and it, it's been awesome to, to see these two programs go under two coaches uh, that are now in their second season. So it's been a lot of fun this fall. David, uh, this is Peter, and uh, thank you for joining us also. And I, I'm sort of curious, uh, my experience with Duke as a as a very much an outsider of Duke sports football program, of course, basketball is well-known and uh, sure. well-revered, Mike Krzyzewski and, and uh, the amazing thing he's, he, he did. Um, but I'm curious about the football program because – um, you know, generally schools with high academics don't do especially well in football, right? I mean, basketball maybe, but not football. What distinguishes Duke from sort of other schools that seem to have trouble fielding a, a, a good football program? Well, I mean, I think you have to look at a couple of tiers and, and be, to be fair, before David Cutcliffe arrived, right, right around uh, 2008, Duke was one of those schools that did struggle on the football side of things. And I think it, it was a part of his vision coming in, but also – um, Kevin White, who was the athletic director at the time, of really committing financially to the facilities and, and you know, revamping Wallace Wade Stadium. For those that aren't super familiar with it, for a long, long time, there had been a track around the football field, getting rid of that and kind of modernizing things, building what's known as Blue Devil Tower, but a state-of-the-art area for suites and guests to come and watch um, on the west side of the stadium, uh, getting a generous gift for Bob Paschal to build an indoor practice facility, um, when David Cutcliffe took over, the outdoor practice facility was only 70 yards, to give you perspective. Oh. So now that's 100 yards at indoor practice facility. So getting that where it needs to be. And the other thing I'd add to that, and Mike Elko is obviously built upon this too, is you're right that it's it's a different kind of kid you got to recruit because it is the academic standards are real and, and they're a piece to the puzzle. But there's also an element of that that you can use to your benefit because, and I don't mean this is a, a negative comment on any university out there, but I think you guys will know what I mean the degree means something. So that's part of the sales pitch to, to come and get a chance to have a degree from Duke University. Um, obviously, a lot of these guys will and, and want to go on and play professionally on the football side of things. Uh, but beyond that, I can't tell you how many doctors Your default and lawyers speaker has changed to, to play football Airpods, here. And will now be um, so I think that's a piece of it, too. It turns into a little bit of a selling point. And I think Duke has been able to blend that. And I think, to be fair, a piece of that is people have seen what Mike Krzyzewski did on the basketball front and what John Shire is doing now. I'm talking about players and student athletes growing up that, okay, you can go and be successful at Duke. I think seeing that success on the basketball side of things certainly fed into that as well. But the revamping of facilities, I think, is, is a big part of the story the last decade or so. Well, you yeah, I, I just find it really interesting. Same, like, uh, uh, sort of in that same vein, David. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about some of the key 
players and on, on the football team that are that are really kind of standing out that are helping you guys get back to bowl eligibility? Well, it, for those that haven't followed Duke closely, this year's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, <laughs> Riley Leonard was the standout quarterback that really burst onto the scene last year, not just for his ability to throw, but his ability to run. And as I said, led the team to, to nine wins. And, and he was off to a tremendous start and unfortunately got hurt uh, in the game against Notre Dame late, had a uh, what turned out to be a high ankle sprain, missed a game, came back against Florida State, um, played that game, got dinged up a little bit at the end, and then got re-injured another part of his body uh, the following week. And he's essentially done for the regular season now. And they've had some other issues with the second string quarterback. So there's a true freshman playing quarterback right now in Grayson Loftus, who's really uh, showed himself really well the last three games, nearly getting a win in Carolina in the rivalry game, falling it up overtime, but getting a win at home um, over Wake Forest. So I would say Riley Leonard at quarterback certainly um, jumps off the page. And then you have to go with some of the older guys. Um, Jacob Monk, whose dad played uh, football here back in the 80s, a guy like Dwayne Carter on the defensive line, uh, Jamion Franklin on the defensive line, who actually was recruited by Mike Elko, who's the head coach here now, when Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame to go play at Notre Dame, went up there, ended up transferring to Duke, and then they got reunited last year when Mike Elko took over as a head coach. It's a cool story. And then, I mean, I could run down all the different guys on the roster, but that's the core. Those are the four captains that, that jump off the page. And Riley Leonard has certainly gotten a lot of a national attention with what he can do. And it's just been a shame to, to see the injuries um, kind of pile up. And then the other guy I'd give a shout out to, the left tackle is really good. Um, Graham Barton, I think he's really thought highly of in terms of his NFL prospects next year. Um, so, no, it's, it's a really solid football team. Did you yeah, say the so robbery game? Rivalry game. Oh, rivalry. I'm sorry. Rivalry game. So, there, there's, okay, there's right. a- Here's a two-parter here, because I remember you and I talked about this. Hi, Luther. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Before, <clears throat> the story on, which was pretty hilarious, on Riley Leonard and his mom, and number two, when you were talking about the either the post-game scrum or the chat you had with Coach Shire for men's basketball before the uh, Champions Classic against Michigan State, where his biggest thing from the Arizona game was too much hero ball, too much selfish ball. Apparently, the kids accepted the challenge and they responded very well. Uh, Caleb Foster in particular, right, going seven of eight against Michigan State and Uh, and those three-pointers. But no, I'll touch on the the football side too. So for those that don't know, Riley Leonard grew up in, in Alabama down on the coast and is like the most kind sweet kid you'd ever meet he's friends with everybody on the team walk-ons he's obviously a tremendous athlete played basketball in high school but with that and especially when you get into college at this level that comes with a lot of praise and everyone is telling him how wonderful he is and how you're good at this how you're good at that whatever and his mom uh is just like him that's probably where he gets it from she's like the sweetest person ever and he went to her and said you know all of this positive feedback is tough for me i need someone to keep me grounded um and i and she was like well i'll do it and he goes what do you mean she's like i'll just tell you you suck um so it's become a thing that every time he played she basically calls him up and says you suck or she has an interview she says don't screw up this interview awful you're going to be horrible and his mom insults him before every major moment that he has he has a wristband he wears now that says you suck and it's turned into like a rallying cry for the team it's just kind of a cool a uh, little motivational story. And if you know Riley and how nice he is, it doesn't really work, but he feeds off that negativity. I mean, case in point last year, I talked about that breakout season he had. 
preseason, he was rated as the worst quarterback in the ACC. And he kept referencing that over and over and over again. He loves being a, you know, most athletes do like putting that chip on their shoulder, but uh, he takes it to a whole nother level. And just to touch on real quick, we talked about with Coach Shire, uh, you know, the Blue Devils lost at home to Arizona. It was Coach's first loss at home since he took over last season. Mm-hmm. And he had told us after that game that he felt like guys were trying to do too much, kind of do their own thing instead of working both sides of the floor to get a good shot and and he talked pretty candidly about how those guys didn't do that and he talked about Caleb Foster specifically going to the Michigan State game you know for a young kid or freshman didn't get caught up in his feelings and thinking about himself came to the coaches and said what can I do you know how can I get better at this and then he comes out and just has a a virtuoso performance as I said making seven of eight uh, from the field I think it was five three-pointers in that game and it was just really cool to watch the, the guys grow up because you know, big conversation for Duke basketball this year was the returners, particularly the sophomore class that was coming back. But for them to get to where they ultimately want to get to, which is Phoenix in the Final Four, they're going to need these freshmen. And McCain had a big night from three the other night uh, against Bucknell. Obviously, we talked about Foster. Sean Stewart can jump out of the gym. So it's, it's cool to see those guys come on. And it's not always going to be perfect or seamless. And I think the head coach was super excited to see how they bounced back from Arizona and came out really strong against Michigan State and didn't let the one loss compound and turn into two. What do you think about the 7-2 kid that Duke has in the middle? Where, where, do, you, where do you think he fits that uh, that Coach Shire is, has a kind of a reclamation project with him, but it looks like he could be a Zubek or maybe a couple of seven-footers that they've had in the, in the past for this basketball team. Yeah, you're talking about Christian Reeves, I would assume, of yes, him. Sir. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I do think he's going to be a huge weapon. He's been a little bit dinged up, wasn't able to play in the game against Bucknell, but you see him in practice. You see how active he is. He's a big body, as you said, but he's also super athletic and, and still learning the game in some respects. I think he'd be the first to say that, but he's going to be a huge weapon on a team that I think down the road, you know, size is going to be important when you get certainly into ACC play and into the NCAA tournament and it just gives them more versatility and flexibility because right now you have Filipowski playing at the five. You can slide him to the four, I guess, when Ryan Young comes onto the floor, uh, the graduate transfer from Northwestern. But Christian can just give you another body in the low post that can help. I think for him right now, the mission is just to get healthy because he's been dinged up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, as a, uh, a uh, recent uh, mover to the Pac-12, which is no, will no longer be the Pac-12, which I'll come to in a second, one of the things that sort of puzzles us is why Florida State is over Washington in the uh, you know in the in the top four uh, football playoffs. I'm not I surprised think, by that one. Well, I am actually. I think Washington has had a, a much tougher schedule than the Florida State has. I'm just curious, David, what's your thoughts about? I know you're not a Florida State guy, but what do you, do you have any thoughts about what's going on with the you know with 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 the rankings? Yeah, I think it's interesting, and I think to some, it's good fodder, right? It creates for oh, yeah. fun discussion. I think a lot of this gets sorted out once we get through championship weekend. It tends to yeah. take care of itself. And, yeah. and I, I don't know you guys think. I'm kind of out of my depths here because I'm so focused on Duke and, and what we're doing here. But I always hear when I hear that debate, I feel like we're having the wrong debate. Um, I think both Florida State and Washington should be in there. I'm more confused why Michigan and Ohio State are just – it's a given – that they're in there Um, because if you want to talk about strength of schedule, I think you have to look at what Michigan has done and I understand they've won handily, but who have they really played besides Penn state? Um, Nobody. That that to me, I feel like, (laughs) and I don't mean to dodge the question. I just feel like we're having a wrong Oh no. I mean, this this is perfect though, because due to the fact that think about this, Georgia's, I think Georgia's had a tougher schedule than Michigan has. I mean, 
if you look at it, I mean, look at look at what look at what Michigan has. This is going to be a, a de facto elimination game for somebody in the Big Ten, so they're not going to get two. Once, yeah, and I think know, for they, Florida. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. When you when you finish up with Michigan, Ohio State, then Florida State, say they get by Florida, which we all think they will, and they get Louisville in the ACC championship game. Could Louisville be the team that knocks them out? Because I think Louisville's still ranked and still has an outside shot, not a great shot, but that's have a lot of things happen. But could they be the one that's you know upsets the apple cart? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's totally fair. And I think Washington looks really impressive. And obviously that win over Oregon is as good, if not better, than anyone anyone else has in the country. Um, yeah. but they've also had games where it was a little bit conf- was it Arizona State? I'm going off a of memory where yeah, Arizona State they didn't, they didn't look State their best. But Florida State has some of those performances um as well. Obviously hanging their hat on the LSU win to some extent hanging their hat uh, against a much healthier team when when they beat um, Duke. So it's an interesting debate. I just always think it's funny how like that's the debate, the ACC versus the Pac-12 and the Big Ten kind of gets a free pass in that discussion. And I'm just I'm not super enamored with the Big Ten, not to say Michigan State or Michigan, excuse me, and Ohio State aren't really good, but I, that always fascinates me. And, and your point is well taken. And by the way, we're you know, I'm an Oregon guy. I live in uh, <laughs> south, southwest Oregon right now. And I, I think it's quite possible that Oregon will be at Washington in, in the in the uh, pack. Well, I would champion. not be shocked by that because yeah, if that no. happens, that, that then it's really going to be a mess. And say Florida State loses to Louisville, then it's really going to be a mess because you can have like six, possibly eight teams for basically one spot. Well, in that scenario, I tend to think, and I, I might be wrong from an ACC perspective, but I think the injury to Jordan Travis, if, if Louisville were to win that game, yeah, probably knocks the ACC altogether if Jordan Travis isn't available. And for Louisville, I think they, they're a really good team, but that – loss to Pittsburgh is, is not going to look great when it's compared to other teams if, if they are sitting there amongst the one-loss teams. That's just my two cents looking at it. And what happens if, if Alabama beats Georgia, which I think is possible? I think know. Bama jumps everybody. I think because yeah, if Bama beats it. Georgia, I think but if Texas, the loss they if, would if have. Texas, but if Texas wins the Big 12, right. how do you take Alabama over Texas? Well, That's good right. point. Head-to-head, yeah. yes. Well, in Tuscaloosa, I, anyway, that's exactly. right. That's right. It was, yeah, that's one of those games. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, here, here's the thing. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but, but the difference between let's let's use an example here. The difference between uh, Georgia and and Texas is Georgia dominates the team that should. Texas is barely squeaking by. You know, so. It, it, I, and Alabama is not the same team today as they were at the second weekend. They're quite they're quietly going about their business. And that's what you don't so, want if you're if you're a team like an Ohio State, a Michigan, say Washington, you know, gets bumped a little bit, say Michigan loses, then you have like Texas, Alabama, and maybe whoever else is sitting out there with maybe two or three losses. Then you got to start it, taking it, into that it, account. Whose resume looks Saturday, good? Championship Saturday is going to be really interesting. Tell yeah, me about it. It is. Well, and I think the discussion we're having, to me, really amplifies why playoff expansion is a good thing. And yep. who knows? Maybe they need to go further because right now I think – and you don't end up sometimes with the best matchups, which I think is what you guys are talking about – you almost mm-hmm. have to reward people for wins and losses because there's so few seats at the table. 
that it's almost unfair to make a subjective call about who's playing better right now. But when you have 12, 16, however many teams in, I feel like in say tournament, you can have those discussions about who's playing well at the end and why do they get to a certain place versus if there's only four seats at the table, it's hard for me to see how you leave out a conference champion that has one or fewer losses, but that's just my two cents. David, do you think that college football should adopt the same format as college basketball, maybe on a smaller scale because of the time involved? But I think what you're talking about. Go ahead, Luther. I think what Bob's talking about is kind of what the FCS did yesterday with their pairings, like North Dakota State playing Drake in the opening round of the playoffs. If, like, for North Dakota State, they're going to host that game. And as long as you keep winning, you get to host all the way to Frisco, Texas. But I'm thinking that's kind of what Bob's kind of asking about. And I think that could be a smart move. But you have to get up to at least 16 to 32 to make it happen. Maybe you can do it with 12, with a 5, 12, 6, 11, 7, 10, 8, 9. But then who's going to be where? Because somewhere along the way, you got some elimination games within the regular season. Yeah, I think you have to. There's a lot of things you have to weigh when looking at that. And, and there's a lot of stuff in, in college football that I know the Bulls get kind of take a beating in certain discussions. But I think for a lot of programs and the Bulls mean something and a chance to go play in the postseason, those extra practices or reward for the players. And I also think and maybe I'm old fashioned and old school and you guys can tell <laughs> me I am that like we need to be thinking about these players. These these are not 25 to 35 year old professionals. These are college kids, and how many games do you want them to have to be played? Um, obviously, the FCS has a playoff system at 16, but they play one fewer game right. um, than the FBS does. So I, I, I'm I'm okay with it, but I think you got to look at what the domino effect is, then how many seats are at the table, how does this affect bowl games? And as we all know, we can have whatever opinion we want about this. The television networks are ultimately going to make the call because the, the reason to do that, the only reason they're going to do that and expand or change anything dramatically is money and and getting more money out of television partners. So I think it's an interesting debate, but I think it gets a little complicated because there's the wear and tear. There also is, and I know some people disagree with this, but I know for sure it's the case here at Duke. We were talking about this earlier. When you get into the exam period, mm -hmm. there's a block of time where, you know, we don't compete in whatever sport because the players need to focus on their academic work. So how do you navigate around that? Um, and then holidays and, and think, not saying it can't be done, but I don't think it's as simple. And there's just the real practicality of once you get past that window where it's kind of understood the NFL doesn't play on Saturdays. Now you're competing with the NFL for television windows as you get deeper into December and January. So it's not straightforward. You can slide back that way. And also you don't want to slide it back forward anymore because particular parts of the country, you know, you'd be playing in a hundred degree weather in August. So I, it's a little tricky to me how you fit it in without reducing the number of games that are played in the regular season. I just don't know how much of an appetite there is to do that. So David, I if I can we, jump in. And, we, we got to oh, stay oh. at 12. We can't expand more than 12 teams. Hold on. What were you going to say, Don? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah well, well, I, I mean, Mike did have a point there, but I was going to bring it closer, David, into your backyard. I know this is really Chris Edwards' subject, but you got a team there at Duke who went out to Stanford yesterday. And I'm going to say this for our audience who might not know. Stanford is one of those older 
pavilions, older arenas where it is darn difficult to win. And admittedly, Duke didn't win, but they took Stanford to overtime yesterday for an 82 to 79 final score. And that, that darn team, that those women, they came into Connecticut a while back, back when Steve Barnes was at the microphone, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And the darn if they didn't, UConn had the a very long home winning streak, and a kid named Harding hit a three pointer as the horn went, and that was the end of that. And Duke just is. A, one tough competitor on the women's side, and I love this time of year because you have games like Duke, Stanford. You had te- te- South Carolina, Notre Dame, Notre Dame and Paris. Paris. That was pretty amazing. And then, and Kara Lawson has done a heck of a job with what she's done up there, coming off for years of playing under the coach Summit, and I think a lot of that carries over into what she's doing now with what she has at Duke. Yeah, no question. I mean, she's obviously a brilliant basketball mind. I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the stuff or, you know, that's on social media where she's such a master motivator. Um, and to have it, as you were talking about yesterday, five and double figures coming off a home loss to Davidson and to go on the road and have, you know, not just compete, have a really good chance to win at Stanford, scoring 79 points against the number six team in the country. I mean, it's just impressive what she's doing. Obviously, it's a little bit younger team than maybe they thought they were going to have. Um, before some things happened with the transfer portal last year. But, no, it's it's very impressive what what she's been able to do in a, in a short amount of time um, taking over the program. And um, she's one of those rock stars in the coaching industry. You can just see it. Some people have it, and she's got it. Um, and the way she, she gets the team motivated is very impressive. And your guys, your Cameron crazies, they're pretty wild, even on the women's side of things. When <laughs> UConn would come in, they used to chant, uh, where's Luigi? Because Coach Gino <laughs> Oriano's Oriama's given name is Luigi, but your and but but Stanford they may not be as loud, but there's about six thousand of them when the place is full, and one of those small arenas, you know, six thousand can sound like a whole lot more. It Bless can be it. a difficult place to win out there. It's yep. no, it's it's impressive, and they. Um, Kara's group has a matchup with South Carolina at home coming up, so they'll get another chance Boy. at one of the top teams in the country. Oh, but I want to hear that game. Yeah, oh, the crazies. The crazies are the crazies are a breed of their own, and they do their research. I think that's a lot of people see the noise and they see the the dancing every time we touch before the game starts, and that gets a lot of attention. But they do the research and they know very specific stuff they want to get into for every game. And it was a madhouse for Arizona. Um, I'm sure it will be the same tomorrow for LaSalle. Um, as they continue some non-conference play at home. But, no, it's it's a very different place to play, and you hear teams come in all the time and say they didn't realize how claustrophobic it feels to be on the floor because the fans and everyone are just on top of you, the graduate students in the end zone, obviously the band opposite them. But um, it's a special place when I, when I bring people in and show it to them. Everyone's kind of taken aback when there's nobody in there, which to me is one of the cool times to go in Cameron. Um, especially if the lights are off, it just gives you kind of oozes history, kind of taken aback at how small it is in person because it, it looks larger than life on TV. But, you know, you put 9,314 in there and you can't hear it. It's it's um mm-hmm. it's a sweet place to watch a basketball game. I've always what wondered it? that because when you took over from the legendary Bob Harris, until you actually sat in the crow's nest in that seat 
did you really know how crazy did you really know how you were going to respond to it taking over and sitting in bob harris's seat now and you guys know this too um you get lost in the work right because you're there to Mm -hmm. tell stories and you have your notes and things like that but you also um want experience want to enjoy it every now and then i'll slide like one ear of the headphones off to get a true feel for how loud it is i'll pretty quickly put the headphone back on because then i have a headache pretty soon because it is so loud um but no you it's deafening and you have to come and experience it to understand and it's like it's its own experience. I've heard Jay Billis saying he's so right about the air is heavier. It's hot. It just feels like you're in a cauldron during the game. And um, the crazies are as much a part of it. Uh, the success of the team is anything because it's very intimidating for teams to come in. I will say you tend to get every team's best shot because they're excited to play in front of a crowd. Um, that's like that as well. But no, it's just, there aren't many places like that. I was actually doing an interview the other day and someone asked me, um, if there are any plans in the work to, to modernize it. And I said, blasphemy. Like, no, yeah. of course not. You, you don't <laughs> want to ruin something that's perfect. Um, you want to modernize maybe a locker room or something like that. But no, it's it's the perfect place um, to watch a game. And you mentioned the crow's nest. I, I feel like I'm very lucky to have the, the best seat in the house because it kind of hangs over the court. So you just have to, like a bird's eye view for everything. I, I, I want to talk about the craziness that's going on in college sports. You talked about money driving everything, and it seems to be driving college sports. That's an obvious statement. But um, what I'm interested in, you know, the, the ACC is not going to be the same next, uh, next year as it is this year. And how do you – what do you make of all this travel that uh, folks are going to have to make? Do you have to travel to the West Coast, as I understand the thing, to play certain games? How is that going to influence the way – not just football, but basketball too, and other sports. Uh, it, with, with with a school that's so academically challenging as Duke is, how's that going to affect things? Well, I think there is. It's a it's a real concern. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it's more a concern for Stanford and Cal than it is for mm-hmm. the rest of the ACC schools, right. um, because they they've gone to great lengths. Like for example, in the seven year scheduling model they just released, Duke is only going to go out there three times for football um, and never in consecutive years. Haven't seen the basketball model, but I'm sure there'll be same considerations. I would be very surprised if, you know, when you go out there, you don't play, you play at Cal and at Stanford and probably the next year you don't go out there, if that makes sense. So once a year you'd have to do that. Um, I think for some of the Olympic sports, so to speak, that they're working on, I don't know if any of it's formalized yet, but I know they've discussed doing some events like, having SMU is very helpful because you can do an event in Dallas and and have maybe a bunch of teams get together and compete. Um, so they're trying to do things to mitigate um, that sort of travel. But I think the brunt of it is, is to be honest, more worn on Stanford and Cal. And I think sometimes we get caught up in that. Yes, it's a flight and it's five hours and it's a long flight, but Syracuse to Miami is a long flight too. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's a lot of travel that's mixed in here. And I think at the power five level, some of the things you can do to mitigate that with charter travel and some things you can do with scheduling, I think are, you can manage those to some extent. I, I do think as we get deeper down this wormhole and, and teams are all over the country, it, it's really felt more by the fencing teams and, and the volleyball teams and how do you navigate that sort of stuff. And I think that's the stuff they're going to be respectful for. And obviously, you know, some of those trips that those teams take in the past where you might have flown commercially, maybe you are going to charter to try to mitigate um, how much time is spent away from the classroom. But I, I know that's a very sensitive topic here at Duke. But as I said, I don't know if it affects us necessarily as much as it affects Stanford and Cal. And I'm sure they're contemplating that stuff too. 
Well, I do know that University of Missouri, where I used to uh, serve as a tutor, when they went, when the baseball team or the softball team, especially went on long road trips, they brought tutors on, they brought uh, tutors with the team so that they could keep up with classwork. And I would imagine uh, that something similar might go on if some of these schools have to travel across country all the time. Oh, yeah, I know at Duke for sure. And that, that was before this. I mean, every program has an academic advisor that travels with the team and is around the players to help them with study hall on the road and make sure everyone's keeping up with what they need to academically. So that is definitely deeply ingrained in everything that's being done. Sure. So uh, other other changes, uh, what are your thoughts about the portal and how money's driving the sort of college thing? It, it, it seems to be sort of, from my perspective, sort of sliding out of control to some degree. And also the whole issue of players being able to you know, to market themselves, which I think in one level makes a whole lot of sense, but boy, it does, it does add some challenge. Yeah, I think, and look, I, I think I come at it from the angle of there's nothing bad about players having economic rights. There was something inherently wrong a couple of years ago where if you were, you know, just run of the mill student painting art and you wanted to sell that, that was fine. But if you were a student athlete, there was all these restrictions about if you wanted to sell your likeness, you couldn't do it because I understand the thought process behind it, but there was something just inherently flawed in that. And I think it's a good step to rectify that to where it, look, it's your name, it's your image, it's your likeness. You should be able to, to monetize that where I think there needs to be some guardrails put on this is, and look, this isn't some huge secret. That's not where the lion's share of the money is now, whether it be a collective or what have you, it, it's, it's bordering on pay for play, which is what it was not intended to be. Um, and I think that's a concern on a couple of different levels. One, it was never intended to be paid play by pay for play. I should say it was intended for people to be rewarded financially for their name, image and likeness, maybe their service efforts and things like that. Um, but two, you end up in, you've seen this at a bunch of different places. Yes. Some of the player, you players have the right to have representation now, but you end up in some of these business arrangements that aren't official or made with a third party. And then, Promises are made and promises aren't kept. And there's no recourse for that because there's no formal policy. And I think that's the part that has to get cleaned up. In terms of the transfer portal, again, I think sometimes we lose sight of the big picture because we're dealing with the very top end of the spectrum. And I get that from a competitive standpoint. And that's what fans are interested in. And who's going to get this guy? And who's going to get that girl? And how are you going to blend that together and how do you put a team together? But then you have all these student athletes that are being made promises. They go into the portal and then they don't have a home. And now they've lost out on their scholarship opportunities. And I think as we, and I don't pretend to know the answers. I think coach K should be put in charge of men's basketball though. I will say that though, um, because he has a great perspective on how to handle this because I think we are heading down a rabbit hole of making a lot of decisions based off of a small percentage of student athletes that play the game and I just worry about the downstream consequences of all the other student athletes in the system as we're looking at this. And I just don't think the whole thing is being looked at. And look, I'm not saying the money's not out of control and stuff isn't out of whack in terms of how it's distributed. I just worry that the solution is not going to come without its own set of problems, if that makes sense. David, I'm wondering if uh, you would like to talk to some of our participants. We have people listening who may want to ask you some questions that's up to you of course i can arrange that right now if you'd like so no, happy to if, if there's someone who has a question all right so herbie 
do you know yet if we have any hands raised in case anybody wants to ask David Shoemate a question about Duke or anything else? This is Greg, your Zoom host, and we have no hands raised um, right now. Thank you. All right. When you do, let us know. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So um, I am uh, thinking about Duke. I listen to a lot of ESPN, and there are two people. You mentioned one of them, Jay Billis and Jay Williams, who are uh, Duke basketball stars, both of whom are very opinionated, very smart. Uh, uh, um, and I'm just curious to, uh, to know if you've talked with these folk and uh, what your what your relationship, if any, with these people are. Sure. Um, I've met both of them. Uh, Jay, obviously, Jay Williams has been focused more on the NBA the last few years. It's cool to see he's getting back in college and going to be on game day the last few years. So in my seven years, I've spent more time around Jay Billis and gotten to know him really well. Um, Jay is like brilliant, like Mensa Society brilliant. I don't know if that comes across on the broadcast. No, it does. Yeah, it does. Jay Williams, too. <laughs> Jay Williams, too. Yeah. Both especially especially when you have him and Dick Vitale at the same time. Yeah, I mean, so like the way Billis thinks about the game, we're talking about czars for how to fix college athletics. I think um, Jay Billis would be a good person for people to talk to because – uh, I think he has very strong opinions. And I think a lot of what he says is accurate about players should have the same economic rights as coaches and things like that. And how do we work collectively to find solutions that work for everybody, but also just the way he thinks about the game, the way he sees the game. And I learned stuff just sitting at shoot around or sitting at practice and, you know, with how guys release points and how quickly they get the shots off and how he sees a guy's development. It's just cool to pick his brain about how he sees things. And obviously he spent some time, um, back in the day on, on the radio broadcast here working with Bob Harris. So that's kind of cool, too, that he has an appreciation for what we do. But um, he's he's one of the best, and, and we're lucky that we get to see him. I think he's out in Maui right now, though, so I don't feel terrible for him with the weather that he's dealing with versus what we're dealing with. Um, but I think he's got our game uh, in Arkansas, so we'll see him in Fayetteville in about a week or so. Well, it, you you know, you're it's funny. You, you guys are going to Fayetteville. I don't know how what if that's a, if that's a close comparison, but I think – you know, Cameron Indoor is kind of like the college version of maybe the Boston Garden, maybe, or maybe the old fabulous forum with the Lakers back in the 80s as a close comparison. Yeah, I mean, well, and you were kind of touching on Bud Walton from what I saw in the preseason, one of those charity exhibitions, that thing can get going. So that's going to be oh, a atmosphere when the Blue Devils go out there. I think um, that'll be kind of a crazy scene. But no, it's Cameron is just so unique because of its dimensions. I think uh, I'm obviously biased in this. I know Fog Allen has a great reputation too for Kansas, but um, just the the nature of it and how people are on top of you at Cameron to me, it's it's up there. I can't remember Luther if you and I were talking about this. The Blue Devils played up at um, Freedom Hall in my first year back in 2017. Grayson Allen had a crazy game, really good. Um, that place can get rocking too. Was that uh, was that the wall was... always coming at you? Was that the last year of Freedom Hall before they moved into the Yum Center, or was that the? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing. Up, up at Indiana. Sorry, I said. Oh, you, oh, Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Branch for yeah, I'm sorry. Court. Yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> Simon Scott Assembly Hall, Branch McCracken Court, where Don Fisher stood so doing it right. yeah. in his 53rd <laughs> year, <laughs> which is wild, isn't that? And I saw somewhere today. I think today's Bill Hillgrove's birthday. Uh, really? Pittsburgh radio guy. So, man, he's been doing it for 50 years too. Yeah, sorry, you made me think about that when you said it. So, talk talking of really smart people, um, uh, and and sort of people dying. Bobby Knight died a, a while ago. We haven't yeah. really talked about that on this show, but um, I I didn't really appreciate Bobby Knight until 
uh, I read an interview of him uh, uh, and he, the way he sort of communicated about the way to, the way he coached and the way to lead people was just sort of mind bending from my perspective. Um, uh, and, um, you know, people like that are, are, are unusual, even though Bobby Knight had his uh, issues with temper and all that, um, which is what he was most known for, I think, um, sometimes. But he he was brilliant as well. Yeah, there's no question. And, and like you said, there's certain things that you kind of have to put to the side because they weren't acceptable towards the end in terms of what happened and, and some of the behavior. But the, from the basketball side of things, the the way to reach people and the way to motivate. And look, I mean, obviously he informed what Mike Krzyzewski became um, and working with him and all the different stuff that went into it. So I know those two had a complicated relationships at times, but I think it was always a deep respect and a love there. Um, and I think it's, you know, those basketball minds are few and far between. And there's, I hate to say it was an old school mentality because there was some stuff that was just, that's not old school, it's just wrong. Um, but I, I do think there was some error in terms of motivation and stuff like that. I think you see some similarities in how Coach K went about things without some of the stuff that you don't have, if that makes sense. Exactly. David, I um, I had the opportunity to play uh, in, a, in a pep band at the Palestra in Philadelphia. How does that, do you have any sense of how that compares with um, the, the, uh, the, Cameron the, Andor? Yeah. I've not been to the palestra, so I'll lean okay. on you to, to what that what. Well, that I, I you know, I, like I, it feels hard. like it would be similar. I'm thinking yeah, I mean, a guy it's you small, might want. It's deafening. It's it, I don't know what it seats. I think it's smaller. I think it's like at least right around nine, possibly ten. But I think a guy you might that I'm hoping we could actually bring on at some point because he's been in there a countless time for the uh, Big Five with Penn and a few others. Is Ryan Fanning of Villanova. He's I need to go down and ask Fran Dumphy tomorrow night. We got LaSalle coming in for our next game, and they obviously oh, yeah. have the Big Five coming up, so um, he yeah. would certainly know from back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I am sort of curious because because I remember being in that place and it was just deafening, and and how anybody could sort of concentrate. I mean, we and the and the pep band had difficulty concentrating. Uh, never mind what what the folks on the on the court were doing. Um, so uh, it, 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 when you describe Cameron, it sort of reminded me of the Palestra, which I don't know how well how Ooh. well the two compare. Wouldn't you say the uh, place where they have the zoo on on the pit campus is kind of like that? The Oakland Zoo? Yeah. Yeah, it's downstairs. It's been interesting. I can see some of the comparables. I And I, I mean this in the most positive way possible. In the times that I've been up there with Duke, the Blue Doves have won rather handily, so the crowd's never really gotten into it. Um, so I haven't really seen that place rocking yet, um, but you can see where it has a potential. Michigan State kind of had a similar feel when when we were up there in East, in uh, Bres- the Bres- in East Lansing when that place got <laughs> – just because it's compact and it's on top of you a little bit downstairs. Now upstairs it kind of gets spread out a little bit. But it, that's the thing about a lot of places maybe get compact on the floor, but there's really nothing else that, that I've been in that's compact up top too. Um, it normally spreads out once you get up top. But Cameron is not like that at all. Although I've heard Auburn, their new arena is a little bit similar. But I, I just think with the history and everything, it, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges when you get into some of this stuff. Yeah. So Palestra um, might be a good one, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, Palestra, of course, has is, is been around for 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 years. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I thought the comparison might work. I'm just trying maybe, to maybe the old, maybe it. the old maybe the old '80s Carmichael Auditorium. Maybe back in the back in the day, we do have a hand raise. So, okay. um, Brandon, you can. All go right, ahead. Brandon. Brandon. Very go good. Ahead. How are you? Now unmuted. Hello. How are you? Hi, Brandon. Good. You're on, Brandon. What's your question? 
What can yeah. we do for you? Yeah. So my, my favorite sport is basketball. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. When I was at Arkansas School for the Blind, we used, we used to play basketball a lot in track and field and swimming. Which, which school did you go to? Arkansas School for the Blind. Heard of them because I used to face Tennessee School for the Blind quite often. Do you have a question for David Shoemaker? Do you have a question? For David? For the voice of Duke. Do you have a question? Oh. Or for any of us? Do you have a question? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I heard about this, this sport called bocce. What's, what's bocce? Is that kind of like lawn bowling? I that. think I, I can I, answer I, that. I played it. Yes, it is. I think I don't think that's quite relevant to this particular show. Um, but uh, I mean, hey, it, it's a it's a breakup from the monotony of the north. No, that's okay. Yeah, I'll, that's, that's right. Is that the? Uh, now I'm off on a wild goose chase. Is that what you <laughs> yeah. play? Is that the beach? Is that the beach game out on the sand? Or am I getting myself confused? I think that's v I think that's beach volleyball. No, no, where you like put a target and then you throw the. No, I'm off in left field. Maybe I'm oh, thinking. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, Shuffle okay. Board. Hold on. <laughs> Lawn bowling. Lawn. Lawn bowling. Okay. Sorry. So it is a good comparison. <laughs> yep. It, it, yeah, it works. <laughs> I need to that stay in my lane. That's why I do yeah. need to stay where I'm at. I love bowling. <laughs> and I have played lawn bowling. We do have that. another. We do have another raised hand. All right, okay. Greg. Who do we have? Thank we you, have, Brandon. We have okay, you're welcome. We have Jordan with uh, their hand raised. Jordan, go ahead. Jordan, what's up? Jordan? Yeah, Hello, Jordan. How are you? Hey, Jordan. My favorite sport is college football. I'm a huge UCLA fan. We won on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, did you... Do you remember last year Jake Bobo, a receiver for you guys? Oh yes. Yeah, he he obviously played at Duke before he was at UCLA. He's turned out to be really good for the Seahawks. Uh, I know he went undrafted, but he's an incredible um, pass catcher. Uh, I guess when I think of UCLA, I think, and Jeff Ferris was a coach here um, before he went out and coached for Chip Kelly out at UCLA. Oh wow. Yeah. UCLA beat USC last week, as you said, and uh, yeah, over this past I'm Saturday, sure, in fact. I'm sure uh, our our usual guest, Mitch Pomerantz, is in mourning. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, he, he well, uh, is not a happy guy when it comes to uh, USC football this uh, this year. UCLA's freshman quarterback's done pretty doggone good as well, except for the you know freshman stuff that happened at the freshman quarterback. I think. He's got a chance to be a pretty nice quarterback if he can stay on the, you know, growth trajectory that he's on under Chip Kelly. If he, I think, I think that that's the key, Luther. You just said I was just going to mention that mm -hmm. Chip Kelly getting there and uh, recruiting and turning that program around has has really made a difference. I mean, it, 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 it's ironic that the Pac-12 has all of a sudden got so strong. But yeah, UCLA, in the final year before they die. Yeah, they yeah. Die. But but UCLA was, I mean, they were just they were just going. They were the dormant. Way. Yeah, but uh, Kelly has has brought them back. So, so David, uh, bring this back to Duke football for a second. I um and I, I my recollection is 
part of the problem with the school like Duke having, you know, when they get a good football coach, it's hard to keep him because, uh, it, it, you know, other other schools with more vaunted programs want somebody like that guy. What do you, I, I know it's a hard question to answer. What do you, what is your thought about sort of the future of Duke football and that coach? I mean, uh, you know, what happens in a situation like that? There's been in a lot of rumored coaching. Yeah. I'll, too. I'll start it with this, you know, Mike Elko uh, was at the press conference the other day and he kind of cracked a joke when he was asked about this. And he said, you know, when you're a head football coach, if you're not doing well, everyone's asking you if you're leaving talking about getting fired. And when you are doing well, everyone's asking you about whether or not you're leaving. So he kind of <laughs> pushed it to the side. Um, you know, it's, it's real. It's a sign of the success of the program that people are interested in. Um, that's going to happen anywhere. I mean, if, even if you're Alabama and, and Nick Saban's maybe unique, but Kirby smart, you don't think he's going to get asked if an NFL team shows interest. Um, so that's just a part of part of the game. It shows that it's better than the alternative, right? Where things are not going well and people aren't asking questions, but, I do think he's happy here. I know his family likes being here. Um, I think he likes the the kids that he's working with and, and what he's building. And uh, obviously there are things that he needs, the program needs from a resource standpoint. I thought it was telling in his contract extension before the season started that that was specifically mentioned, whether it be compensation for assistant coaches, um, resources for different staff roles or facilities. Um, and obviously from a fan standpoint, um, Everyone needs to contribute. And I talked earlier about the collectives and maybe my personal feelings on them in terms of what we're doing with sports, but it's the name of the game these days and you have to participate to be competitive. And I don't think there's anything wrong with them. Let me make sure I'm out with that. I think it just needs to be done the right way. Um, but no, it's it's part of it. The discussion is going to be out there, but you can be sure that Nina King, who's our athletic director, um, Vincent Price is our president, is going to do everything we can to keep him um, because he's our coach and he's been really good for us. Look at look at what the look at the rumors that are being swirled about with the form with the current Detroit Lions coach Dean Campbell at Texas being being uh, linked and connected with Texas A and M, basically get at paying the seventy six million dollars for Jimbo Fisher to go away. I mean that's you know same thing with the UTSA because he was talking about on Friday night about you know Jeff Trailer being in the mix for some Power Five jobs and he's like the you know it's flat it's flattering that people are you know, wanting to actually chat with you about a job, but right now I've got other things to focus on right now, but it, yeah. it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to stay in focus when you got, Oh, is this coach coming here? Is that coach going there? No. And can you imagine like we were talking about earlier, not to blend the two, but let's say we had a 16 team playoff. We will have a 12 team playoff. Next the year. transfer portal opens up. If the transfer portal opens up, you've got coaches moving around. You've got players moving around. And the back end of the playoff could be affected by that. Like right now, you don't really notice it because it's just the four teams and they're normally like a Georgia and Alabama where that's not really a discussion. But you're telling me if it's a group of five team that's the 11th team into the playoff and their coach has an offer to go to Texas, hypothet you know, something like that, that they might not mm -hmm. jump at that. And then you have a, a literally an interim head coach in the playoff. Like I, that to me is like not that far-fetched to think about. Yeah, I think it's it's a little crazy what's going on right now, but I don't pretend to know the answer. As a coach, so, it, it as a coach, somehow a put years it... ago when uh, when uh, Alabama was in the championship and and Sark was uh, coming to Texas, so he was the offensive coordinator. Yep. So, uh, yeah. And think think about that this happened. as a as a coach put it at one time before he was like, I think it was Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss who we like to refer to as lame. But as he eloquently put it, 
you still you have to not only recruit outside of your roster, but you're trying to recruit your own roster just to stay because everybody's poaching your roster to try to, you know, get players off your roster to come to their school in the portal. Yeah, no, I mean, that's real. You have to have constant conversations. And in some respects, I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing for that constant communication and making sure everyone on your program is happy with where they're at. Where it kind of can get off the rails is like I was talking about the the underbelly of this and you hear rumors, who knows how much is true and how much is not true, but like uh, some of the financial offers that are made to student athletes to entice them to leave and go somewhere else is kind of wild. And I don't know if that's ever what name, image, and likeness was intended to be, but it was a pretty foreseeable consequence um, when everyone kind of opened the floodgates without any guardrails. Um, and I understand the hesitation of putting too many guardrails on it, but it, it does feel a little bit like the Wild West right now. Well, because it would, is. Would, yeah. you like to take, <laughs> would you like to take another raised hand, Jordan? Go ahead. Scott? Jordan has got another question. So. That sounds fine. Go right ahead, got- Jordan. Jordan? Jordan? Who is UTSA? That's the University of Texas University at San Antonio. San Antonio. They're oh. the roadrunners. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And they they seem to be having a pretty good football year, right? You know, what and I they do? and they're I think they're playing this Friday for the chance to either host or punch a ticket to the American because I think Tulane and UTSA are right now sitting as one two, or they're tied and they play for the right to host the championship game on December the second on a Friday. I like their coach, I, I like their coach, Jeff Trailer. Yeah, yeah. Good. And they almost beat Stanford in the playoff for baseball last year. I, sure I knew nothing about the Roadrunners until that series happened, and Stanford only beat them with two bombs in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're building a good uh, sports program there at the school. I mean, that and Andy Everett's been the voice for the for UTSA for a minute there. Well, ticket seven sixty with the football and basketball. So, David, t- talk about what you think is going to happen next year for the Duke football team. Uh, are we having folks graduating? Uh, you know, is it going to be, you know, what, what's what, what? It's hard to predict, but what do you think might happen next year? Yeah, I mean, I think there some decisions are going to have to be made, uh, obviously, and, and guys got to do what what, are, what is right for their um, careers in terms of NFL opportunities. There's guys with eligibility, but also have chances to go to the pros, including Riley Leonard, including. Uh, Jacob Monk along the offensive line, Graham Barton and left tackle we talked about. Uh, Dwayne Carter um, will be departing. So there's definitely some places, some some roster positions that the Blue Devils are, are going to you know, have to backfill, whether it be recruiting or, or through the transfer portal that's become a part of life these days. Um, but I, I do think there's solid foundations on both sides of the ball. Um, the defensive line is so deep and there's a lot of young players. As you guys were talking about, you got to recruit your own team. But um, Duke did a nice job with that last year. I don't think there's any reason to think they won't be able to retain most of their guys. So I think on defense, they're set up for pretty good long-term success. Um, they've got some talented corners coming back and Rivers and Pickett. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, by and large, the receiving core is back. Jalen Calhoun is a senior, but uh, Jordan Moore is back. Samir Hagans is back. Nikki Damolin at tight end. Um, the running backs, Waters and Jacquez Moore are back. So, I mean, you have some pieces to, to certainly build around and a really talented young defensive coordinator, Tyler Santucci. Um, Kevin Johns, obviously, has been very good leading the offense. So 
I think there's reason for optimism, and I think the schedule is not quite as brutal um, as it was this past year. Uh, with the gauntlet the Blue Devils faced in the middle, they still have Florida State coming here and going to Miami, but not quite the the loaded-to-bear schedule that it turned out that the Blue Devils faced this season. So I think there's some reasons um, to feel optimistic going into next season. Yeah, hey, Clemson yeah, is not nearly as good either. Class looks. I'm sorry, say that again? Recruiting class. Have any idea hmm. how the recruiting class looks? Unfortunately, and I don't mean to be evasive, I'm not allowed to talk about recruiting um, yeah. just because of some of the stuff I'm on the inside and I know. Um, but uh, I see some of the rumors that you guys do, and I, I think uh, <laughs> they feel optimistic. Okay. Fair enough. Fair well, enough. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. We have about yeah. two more minutes, so if there are any final thoughts, we welcome them, of course. So with Duke playing this challenge on two finishing up on Friday, getting ready for going to Fayetteville. Yep. What do you think Duke's thing with Coach Shire would like to see shirt up heading into that game against Arkansas? I know that coaches are always looking to experiment with rotations and different lineups right about now before they figure out how tight they need to make their rotations as they get close to conference play as Pitt and Boston College already played their ACC opener last week. And Duke's yeah, I mean, coming I think, up in December. Sure. I think, obviously, some of this is fine-tuning, but I think there's an element of, and I see this all the time with young players that come in and teams that are still kind of figuring each other out, and you you see these big jumps, and I think we've seen it in the last couple of weeks of, as they learn the system, get more comfortable with the system, the biggest way to me you can tell that is how quickly the team operates. And I think the biggest thing he wants them to work on is playing with pace. Um, getting down the floor, making decisive decision, continuing to share the basketball, um, but to find the driving lanes and attack. I think that's going to be really important tomorrow night against a, a good LaSalle team that's undefeated coming in that can really get out and, and pressure the ball handler. Um, so I think that playing with pace as much as anything, continuing to share the basketball, I think is kind of where his head is at for this team because, look, I know the shooting wasn't great at the beginning of the year, but you kind of knew that was always going to be there and come along, and Tyrese is coming on with his shooting. Jared obviously had a big night last time out. So I don't think that's a huge concern, but playing with pace, they, they did that in spurts in the game against Bucknell. I think he wants to see that be more consistent over these next couple of games. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we're Thank running sort of low on time. We are, Thanksgiving. We are and, David. Uh, it's really a pleasure talking with you and, and good luck to all of the Duke franchises, whether it's the females, the males, basketball, football. Baseball. Duke's a very good program. I've been following them from time to time over the past several decades. Krzyzewski's a well-known name when it comes oh, to yeah. Duke, as we all know. But ultimately, David, thank you again for taking for the, the time, time to be on Sports Roundtable. We appreciate it very, very much. Good luck and happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And to thank everybody you, else as well. Uh, Peter, Don, Luther, Mike, Greg, thank Kirby, you. everybody that participated, and everybody who's listening. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. I'm happy Bob Franco. Take care, everybody. 